And the reason they call it a stronghold is because it has a stronghold. And I loved the vein. I mean, this was so strong to me this morning. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm standing here and I'm thinking everybody in the room feels this. Is the authority in the spirit realm. And when the scripture talks about strongholds, where those strongholds exist or where they gain power. So let, let me, when I say they, we all see the world around us. We see the things in the physical, but there is an entirely another world uh, realm that is happening that you may or may not see. Some of you, I do know, see it. Uh, it's the spiritual realm. And so you have the angelic beings and you have the demonic beings. And if you can see, if you are a person who sees demonic beings, if you can see demonic beings, you can see angelic beings. I want to declare that over you right now. Um, so you have this realm that is taking place. And what happens is that realm that is right, a, right outside of our seeing tries to create static and create uh, blockage from what exists in the third realm, the third heaven. Stay with me. Look at your neighbor right now and say, stay with it. Don't, don't disconnect. So that realm there tries to distract and tries to create static or to create confusion. So what is in the third realm, which is the heavenly realm, which is where the kingdom of God is established, where the throne of God is established, that realm right there tries to create a block so that you don't receive what God is sending to you from the throne. Does that make sense? Okay. So those strongholds, what the enemy does is one of his main tactics is to create a stronghold in our mind. That means that he, he tries to create a thought pattern or a way of thinking that is not in agreement with what is established in the kingdom of God, which, so if the thought pattern is, I'm never, I'm never going to be good enough. If the thought pattern is, um, I always get rejected. Nobody there ever likes me. If the thought pattern is life is not going to ever get any better for me. If the thought pattern is, uh, this happening in my life, you know, it would be really great if God could change it. But like what Bailey was saying, but we're putting God in a box in some way, all of those thought patterns can become strongholds in our mind that hinder us from taking a hold and really receiving the truth that God has established for us. And the reason that they're strongholds is because oftentimes we don't recognize or we don't know that that thought is not what God thinks about us. That's not what God says about us. That's why it's so important to be in the word and to be in a Bible teaching church to know what God says so you can recognize the thoughts that come into your mind that are not in agreement with what God says about you. Because any thought that we think that comes into our thinking that is not in agreement with what God says about us or our future, we cannot afford to think on that thought for any longer than a split second. 
like three seconds is too long. So here's what I want to ask is if you would right now, what I was seeing while we were worshiping was, uh, how many of you saw this while we were worshiping? I want to see by a raise of hands, like, uh, a metal, um, what am I trying to call it? A metal thing, like around the, the people's heads. And it's like a shackle or a, what am I trying to say? Like a, it's a bat. It's bad. Like a metal brace. Yeah. That is restrictive around people's heads. Did anybody else happen to see that while we were worshiping a picture of that? Anybody else? So what that is, is it's the mind and it's restricting and trying to cause bondage, trying to cause, uh, a not freedom. Um, so right now, if you know that you are challenged with mind racing, like when you lay down at night and like, you cannot get your brain to be quiet <laughs> or like you're in a conversation and you're like five thoughts ahead and you didn't even hear what the person just said because your brain is racing on to something else. That's mind racing, which that's, that's not what God says about you. Uh, if you know that you battle thoughts of unworthiness, thoughts of self-hatred, uh, if you battle with uh, thoughts of fear and anxiety. Golly, the music this morning, the, what we were declaring and singing was so powerful. If you know that you, uh, have battle of, um, anger, thoughts of, thoughts of rehearsing wrongdoing that was done to you. And what you should have said or what you could have said. I, I want to invite you to just put your hands, any of that and what I didn't name, whatever it is that uh, runs through the territory of the mind. I also want to say if there has been a diagnosis that uh, is due to any type of chemical imbalance of the brain, I invite you to put your hands on your head right now because what we're going to do is we're going to take authority over that metal band that is restrictive, that causes a lack of freedom, that those messages, those strongholds, <laughs> that band is a stronghold. And what we're wanting to do is we're wanting to take authority over that band and we're going to command it to come off. And when we command it to come off, what's going to happen is that band is going to come off and we're going to experience the freedom that is in the word that says that we have been given the mind of Christ. Now, the mind of Christ only thinks in agreement. Keep your hands on your head and receive all of this in right now. The mind of Christ only thinks in agreement with what the uh, spirit of God, what our heavenly father says about us. And so when we receive this, this band is going to break off and our minds are going to be made free because of our agreement with the word of God. Very simply. So right now in the name of Jesus, I declare faith over every one of you with your hands on your head 
that the word says that when we have faith, that we can ask anything in the name of Jesus, that it would be done for us, that our father in heaven would be glorified. And right now I speak to the strongholds of thoughts and messages that are sent. I speak to the strongholds of chemical imbalances. I speak to the strongholds of brain injuries. Uh, I specifically, I saw this this morning, a car injury where, or I'm sorry, a brain injury where um, the head hit the windshield and uh, there was a brain injury when the when somebody's head hit a windshield. Is that anybody in here? Would you raise your hand? Is that anyone? Yes. Yes, yes. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I saw this morning God healing your brain. So right now, in Jesus' name, uh, God is doing something in this room. So, Father, we thank you. And this one that raised your hand, just receive... Receive that total restoration. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we declare all strongholds are broken by the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for me. I want you to say that in your own words. The blood of Jesus that was shed for me breaks all strongholds. I receive the mind of Christ that is freely given to me. My mind thinks in agreement with what God says about me. My mind thinks in agreement with the blood of Jesus Christ. And the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. I receive physical healing of my brain. I take hold of emotional healing in my brain. I take hold of healing of trauma in my brain. I take hold of doubt and I tell doubt to submit to hope. I tell every thought that is not in agreement with God to submit to the mind of Christ in me. And now if you pray in your own prayer language, if you pray in tongues by the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, I want you to begin to do that out loud because what happens when you do that is that the Holy Spirit is bypassing the brain. Isn't that awesome? And it is causing the brain to submit to the spirit of God on the inside of you. So just begin to pray in your holy language. Thank you, Father. And if you have not yet prayed in your holy language, then you can begin to do it right now. You just say, I declare Holy Spirit bubble up on the inside of me. And I pray in the language that has been given to me by the power of the Holy Spirit in me. Thank you, Father. Father, we declare in the name of Jesus, we receive, say this, I receive physical healing. I receive emotional healing. Father, I am healed by the spirit of God in me. And I declare shalom over my body, over every cell. I declare shalom over my entire realm of influence. Holy Spirit, just fill all of it. Just fill all of it in Jesus' name. Bonds are broken. Say that. Bonds are broken. Strongholds are broken. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Let's just let the language of heaven create a 
create a layer in here. So again, if you if you pray in your heavenly language, I want to invite you just to do that right now. And if you've never heard that before, listen to the sound of heaven around you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. When you pray in your uh, personal prayer language, the language of tongues is what the Bible says. It's the language of angels. What you're doing is you're praying the absolute perfect will of God with no um, hindrance or no um, bending according to the human will. It's just the sheer perfect will of God, the direction of God, because it's coming from the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. And it is a powerful thing. Thank you, Father. And when you pray in the Holy Spirit, it causes the mind to submit to the Spirit of God. And isn't that what we all want? (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We say freedom. We say freedom. Yes, freedom, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We say freedom. Freedom, 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 freedom. Reach out right now to your hand and put your hand on one or two people around you and just speak that over them. Freedom. Freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. They will know the truth and the truth will make them free. And Father, you have given us the spirit of truth to dwell on the inside of us. And so we thank you that your presence is here and you give us freedom. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Now, if you know you are standing here this morning and you know, okay, I don't really, I'm not really sure what just happened, but I know that something shifted for me. I want you to raise your hand up really high. Raise your hand up really high, really high, really high. Yeah, yeah. Look around. Look at what God is doing. Look what God is doing. And you know what? We don't have to know exactly what it is. We just know we're hooked up with the spirit that's going where God wants us to go. And when we trust him with that, it's amazing. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for what you're doing. We declare freedom. Freedom in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And we're just going to keep it going. I'm not going to say amen because I want us just to stay right in this flow as we continue on. Is that good to everyone? So let's let's say it this way. Let us continue. Let us continue. Yeah. Yeah. Selah. Let us continue just to be in here in that with him. Freedom. Let's, uh, I feel there is some important stuff. So let's, let's press into the word a bit. So go ahead and be seated. Yeah. And let's, um, let's keep pressing. Look at your neighbor and say, we're pressing. So don't disconnect. Don't stop. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Man. Um, it's okay. It's okay to have fun. 
in the presence of the Lord, you know, because he is joy. So it's okay. You don't have to, you don't have to be, uh, like, are we allowed to breathe out loud? Yeah, you are. It's all good. It's all good. Um, I, uh, had the honor of getting Darren and I, uh, got to come up and be here on, uh, Friday night. If you've never been here for, it's the last Friday of every month. It's prayer and encounter night here at the church, man, I'm telling you, there was words that were spoken in just the short time that we were here, uh, that really were confirmation when you're doing something or you're pressing in with God and you're saying, Lord, am I, am I hearing you? Am I going in the right direction? Am I going where you're wanting me to go? And then someone says something or you hear something on a sermon that you're listening to or something like that. And it, it like, okay, that's the same thing that I am hearing. That's a word of confirmation. And that is God speaking to you. That's one of the ways that God communicates with us is he brings what, what we in Christianese call a word of confirmation. And what that very simply is, is when you're thinking in a certain direction or when you're like reading in a certain way or pressing in with God in a certain way, and you believe that God is communicating something with you and you're like, okay, God, I'm asking you, if that's you, let me know. And then he brings somebody along your path. You're listening to a song, you drive somewhere and there's something on a sign. And it's like, Oh my gosh, that's exactly what God was just talking to me about. That is called a word of confirmation. And so you probably have that a whole lot more in your life than what you realize. Uh, I will say that, uh, I believe that people hear God. They, uh, pick up on God communication a whole lot more than they realize. It's something that I'm very passionate about, about people realizing, hey, I really do hear from God. You do. You were made to hear from him. God is speaking. He's communicating all the time. And the very way that you were created and made, it is easier for you to hear from God than it is from the devil. That's, that's what I get from the word is you were created in his likeness and in his image. And it's actually more difficult for you to hear from the demonic realm than it is from the heavenly realm. It's just that we, uh, have that around us, it seems like. And so maybe we become more sensitive to certain things because, uh, we see the prevalence of it sometimes. Uh, and we can easily become focused on what the enemy is doing rather than being focused on what God is doing. Or we think we're focusing more on what we think God isn't doing than focusing on what he is doing. So, uh, all of that was to say Friday night at, uh, prayer and encounter night, man, there was so much confirmation that came. And so I want to share with you, uh, I love the foreshadowings of the Bible. I love to see how God weaves everything together and it puts me in awe of God. That's one of the reasons I like it so much is because it continually puts me in a whole nother uh, level, a whole nother place of awe of God. And um, a dear friend of ours, years ago, we heard him say that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. 
Meaning that when you read the Old Testament, everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament prophesies. And when we say prophesy, what it means is speaking forward. So everything that you read in the Old Testament speaks forward of Jesus, his coming, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. And then in the New Testament, it is a revealing of everything that we read in the Old Testament. That's why a lot of times when people sit down and they start reading the Bible and they start in the book of Genesis, woo! Don't start in Genesis. If you've never read the Bible before, don't start at the beginning, which is where you usually start reading a book. I always recommend that people start in the book of John in the New Testament. It's one of the four Gospels, and John was, as he was uh, very sure that we knew, uh, John wrote the, the one that Jesus loved. Huh? Basically, he was saying, hey, I'm his favorite. <laughs> So that's what I recommend. If I wanted to know about you, I would ask your best friend. I could ask your best friend and they could tell me, you know, about you, what you like and your personality and who you are. That's what you get when you read the book of John. So anyway, I love the foreshadowings of the Bible. And anyone who would say or that you have heard say that the Bible has contradictions has not read the Bible. And they don't understand what they're reading. And so the scripture says to study to show yourself approved. What that means is if you study and if you dig into the word, you will find that there is absolutely no contradiction from Genesis to Revelation. And God never, never, never contradicts himself or creates confusion within his word. However... You will not be able to properly discern the word without the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. If you sit down and try to read the Bible without the Holy Spirit, it will put you to sleep. There's nothing exciting about it because it doesn't make sense. But when you read the Bible, activating the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, when you sit down to read the Bible, ask Holy Spirit, speak to me because the Bible is spirit breathed. So when you read the Bible, engaging the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, it comes to life. It's a completely different thing. I spent years trying to read the Bible and all I did was fall asleep until I learned to activate the Holy Spirit on the inside of me as I read the word. So I am going to, we're going to go, we're going to go on a little bit of a journey. Are you, will you go on the journey? With me this morning, you're like, uh, I don't know. Will there be snacks? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to end up in Genesis chapter 22. Uh, if you want to open your Bibles there, Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. Um, if you don't have your Bible with you, you can go on to the YouVersion Bible app. If you don't have that on your phone, it's a fabulous app to have. It's free, and it's got so many things in there for you to uh, to look at, too. So. There's lots of foreshadowing in the scripture. And the thing that is amazing to me is God knowing Revelation 22 started Genesis 1. And there's nothing that is left undone with God. Um, So what I want to jump into is that in Genesis, we see the story of creation. And in the story of creation in Genesis chapter 1, all dominion and authority was given to man. And all dominion and authority was given to man... And then through man, through God's creation, the woman and Adam chose not only to disobey God, but to obey the serpent who was sent to deceive them. And when they 
obeyed the serpent, they handed all legal authority of creation over to the serpent, Satan, to the deceiver. They were deceived. So when they handed over all of creation, when God said to man and woman, have dominion, I give all of this to you, then they chose to obey Satan. They gave it all to Satan. So now God puts into motion, even before then, he puts into motion on getting it back because he made it. He's like, I want that back. But God is not a liar and he is a man of his word. So he has to do it legally. God doesn't do anything illegally. He does everything legally. So to regain legal access into creation, he has to find the man who will enter into covenant with him. Covenant is when we enter into an agreement together where now everything that I have, you have access to, and everything you have, I have access to. The closest thing, and I almost don't even like to say it anymore because it's become so flippant in our culture, the closest thing that we have to understanding that here uh, on earth is the covenant of marriage, the way the Bible set up covenant marriage to be. It was to be forever. And when a man and woman would marry and enter into covenant, everything that one has becomes the others and everything the other has becomes theirs, except with Darren and I, (laughs) because Darren says, what I get confused how you say it. What do you say? Oh, everything. What, what I have is yours. Yeah, what's mine is yours and what's yours is yours. That's what what he says to me. So anyway, I'm just joking. He did tell me that I picked on him a lot last week. So I shall attempt to surpass myself this week. Okay, no, I'm just joking. So God finds a man, Abraham... If you look in, I'm, I'm going to give you some scripture references, and this is so deep. You could literally go to Bible college for two years to study what I'm just going to share with you this morning. Okay. Um, Genesis chapter 12 through 15, there is a man, Abraham, who God comes to and invites him to enter into covenant with him. Now it was called a covenant of grace because generally speaking, the lesser would come to the greater. But in the case of God and Abraham, God comes to Abraham, the greater coming to the lesser and invites Abraham to enter into covenant with him. Now he's checking to see if Abraham will say yes, because God always gives us a free will. So God gives Abraham the invitation to enter into covenant with him because if God chooses, if Abraham chooses to enter into covenant with God, what happens? Everything that is Abraham's now becomes God's. He gets legal access back into the earth. But also everything that is God's, Abraham has access to. So if God can find this man, Abraham, to enter into covenant with him, he gets access back into his creation. He has legal access back into earth again. So Abraham and God, if you read through in Genesis, starting in chapter 12, Abraham and God enter into covenant with one another. Now at this time, Abraham had not had any children. And Abraham asked him, how will I know? 
because I don't have any descendants. I have, I have nobody to pass my, my inheritance along to. And God promises him a son. Now, through a lot of other stuff, eventually Isaac is born. Isaac is called in the Bible the son of promise because this is the son that God promised to give to Abraham, a man who was without children. So Isaac is the son of promise. Well, then time goes on and God comes to Abraham and he says, I want you to sacrifice your son, your only son to me. What? Now, at this time, Isaac had not married, and there were no children. And so Abraham hears God ask him for his son, his only son, and will Abraham choose to give God access to his son? Because in covenant, everything that he has now belongs to God, and God has access to. So Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 1, says this, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. Can you say the third day? And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, the lad, his son, Isaac, and I will go yonder and worship. And we say we will come back to you. Now, Abraham spoke the word there. He said, we're going to go and we're going to worship, knowing that he was taking his son Isaac to sacrifice him to God. But Abraham declared by faith, my son and I are going to go worship and we will come back to you. How was this going to happen? Don't know. But Abraham was a man of faith and he trusted God. That God had given him this son and he was saying, God, I give him back to you. I trust you with everything that I have. So now Abraham takes his son and I am going to go ahead. You know, I'm going to read this to you because it's just, this is so rich. There's so much in this. So we're going to read here just a little bit. And let's go to Genesis 22 and let's start in chapter 8. It says, and Abraham said, Or, well, first, uh, his son Isaac asks him, he says, God, where, or he says, you know, dad, yo, we have everything for the sacrifice here, but where's the lamb? Because we've got the wood, we've got everything, but we don't have a lamb to sacrifice. And so we pick up here in verse eight, and it says, and Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told them. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. Don't you know? He was glad to hear that. 
And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket. Say ram. Caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place. The Lord will provide as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord. It shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said by myself. I have sworn says the Lord because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son your only son. Blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Again, you could go to school for two years to study this right here, but we're gonna, we're just gonna go, we're gonna go deep. So I encourage you to stay, stay with this. So when Isaac asked him, where is the lamb that we're going to sacrifice? God had provided the lamb and you see there in the end, verse 18, it says in your seed, all the nations shall be blessed. God had perfect provision For Abraham, the man that entered into covenant with him, and God had created this perfect provision 1,950 years before Abraham ever walked the face of the earth. The rabbis say it is recorded in his, it's historical writing. Now, look at your neighbor and say, this is not God-breathed scripture. This is historical writing, okay? The rabbis record that in creation, in Genesis chapter 1, that the ram that was caught in the thicket there on Mount Moriah is a ram that was created by God in the days of creation as that ram was created to be sacrificed in place of Isaac 1,950 years earlier. God had already made the sacrifice for what would be needed for the covenant. Yeah. (laughs) He said, say that again. The rabbinic historical writings record that the ram that was caught in the thicket on the top of Mount Moriah is a ram that was created by God during the days of creation in Genesis chapter one. And if you record, if you look at history, Abraham was born 1,900 to be exact and 48 years, 1948 BC. So that lamb, that, that ram lived almost 2000 years to become the ram that would be sacrificed on the top of Mount Moriah which is the same place that Jesus Christ would be sacrificed. It's all the foreshadowing of the Bible. How long did they journey? Three days. We're not even getting started yet, y'all. God knowing, because he knows the end from the beginning, created this ram. This ram 
if this ram could talk, right? I mean, God talked through a donkey, so I'd be super interested to know what this ram would have to say because like Darren pointed out, okay, this ram would have been on the ark with Moses or I mean Noah. I always get them confused with Noah, Noah, Noah. (laughs) He'd have some stories to tell, right? I mean, this is pretty amazing. It's a perfect foreshadowing and a prophetic picture of Jesus Christ. God has the man who would sacrifice his only son. So now God has legal right to send his only son to be sacrificed for all of mankind because of the sin that was committed in the garden. In verse 18 says, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So God shows us the perfect picture and he gives a prophetic, a foreshadowing of the release of Jesus Christ into the earth through the picture of Abraham and Isaac, which he had provided for all the way back in creation. So I got to asking God, okay, if you give us a picture of the release of Jesus, I would like to know where's the picture of the release of the Holy Spirit. And I've been asking him about it for a while. (laughs) And so I was talking to Darren and I said, this is, I think this is what God is showing me. Does this, is this line up doctrinally? Theologically, does this line up? Because I want to know if I'm off here because I need to stop chasing this rabbit. So I shared it with Darren and he said, nope, that's right on. So I want to share it with you. Because these are the things I think about, right? Welcome to coffee at my house. So, <laughs> so Jesus was perfectly provided for. Also, through his creation, God made provision for the release of the Holy Spirit in the earth. Let's take a look in Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 11. It says this, during the days of creation, it says, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so, and the earth brought forth grass and the herb that yields seed according to its kind and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were what day? The third day. Are we catching a little theme here? You guys, this is so exciting to me. So on the third day, God established the principle that the seed would produce after its own kind. Okay, so let's fast forward now to the book of John. And in the book of John, chapter 12, in verse 23, Jesus is speaking, and this is out of the Passion Translation, and says, he replied to them, he, Jesus, replied to them, now it is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. And what he's talking there is about, it's time for him to now make his way to the cross where he would be crucified. Let me make this clear. A single grain of wheat will never be more than a single grain of wheat unless it drops into the ground and dies. Because then it sprouts and produces a great harvest of wheat, all because one grain died. Jesus was the one grain that died and was buried as a seed in a tomb. That seed 
died in the ground and it produced much more because he was resurrected. So because Jesus was buried and resurrected, the life that sprang from the seed on the third day, now that one seed, because when Jesus was walking on the earth, he was walking on the earth as a human being, as a man. And people say, well, he did those miracles and he did those things because he was Jesus. He gave up all of his deity to become a man in the flesh. So that man in the flesh could only be one place at a time, right? He was one man, so he could only be one place. But that one man... Dying and being willing to be buried for three days in a tomb because of his willingness to die and be in one place at a time, the death of that one seed now could produce many seeds, which is the Holy Spirit. That one death of Jesus planted in the ground now made it possible for an infinite number of seeds, an infinite release of the Holy Spirit now to be sown on the inside of every person that would believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. The multiplication of the seed. How many apples are in one apple seed? An infinite number. Because that seed is planted and how many apples are produced on the tree that all have seeds on the inside of them. And those seeds are planted that all have trees in them that all produce apples. So how many apples are in a seed? Only God knows. So when Jesus was planted into the ground, how many people then could now carry the very presence of God, the exact same thing that Jesus carried when he walked on the earth because of his willingness to be sacrificed and to be buried into the ground, to be raised up, to be multiplied as the Holy Spirit through an endless number of people. John chapter 16 and verse 7 in the New King James says this. Jesus is speaking and he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. That word to send, he says, I'll send him to you. In the Greek means to dispatch, especially on a temporary errand. Wait, what? And it also means to thrust in the Holy Spirit by Jesus. He said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit because he's coming on a temporary, on a temporary mission because there will come a day when my father will come and all of them that have the Holy Spirit on the inside of them are one with my father and they will all be caught away because my father identifies them because the spirit of him is on the inside of them because I released a multitude of ability to plant and now the seed is on the inside of them. So when my father comes, that temporary mission of the Holy Spirit will unite all of those that carry his spirit with my father, because those that are in me are one with him because I am one with him. Yeah. So the Bible talks about the fruit of the spirit. Hello. Fruit comes from a seed. Honest to Pete, I hadn't really thought about it in that context, 
but I've really been thinking about the seed a lot. And I love the seed because the seed is, to me, seed is the perfect, if you want to know what prophecy is or prophesying a picture of the prophetic, the seed is the perfect picture of prophetic ministry, prophecy. Because what is on the inside of the seed isn't seen and it stays unseen until someone has the faith to bury the seed. Now what was in the seed can become seen, but what was in the seed isn't seen because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You have the seed, but you can't see what's in the seed without faith. So now with faith, you can see what's in the seed. The potential that's in the seed is there, but it takes faith, the action of faith to bury the seed so that what's in the seed, the fruit in the seed can come out of the seed. But without faith, the seed never gets buried. The seed is the perfect picture of prophecy. The seed is the perfect picture of everything that we're told about Jesus Christ. Because once the seed was planted, an unlimited harvest was released. Because God has a plan. There's nothing, there is no plan B with God. God knows the end from the beginning and he has a plan for all of it. The fruit of the spirit that is discussed in Galatians chapter 5 starting in verse 22. That seed produces fruit. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit is on the inside of you, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, patience, and self-control. All of that is a fruit that comes out of you because of the seed of the Holy Spirit that's planted on the inside of you. The spirit produces the fruit. You can't do it on your own. But here's the cool thing is that the DNA of all of that is in the Holy Spirit. It's like, it's like a peach tree. We have an apricot tree out in the front yard. So I'm just going to use that as an example. I'm just pretty darn sure that that apricot tree is not out there fretting and worrying. Gosh, dog it, I got to make an apricot. <sighs> I'm pretty sure that that apricot tree just bees what it be. And it produces. The same as in the wintertime, I don't look at that tree and go, well, I just don't even know what that is. It don't have no apricots hanging on it. Nobody knows what that is. It is unidentified. <laughs> now, I'm not, I'm not saying that to be ugly. I'm saying it to be serious. Just because it's young and doesn't have any fruit on it yet doesn't mean that it doesn't have an identity. Amen. Just because somebody is young and they're not showing the fruit that you want them to show doesn't mean that they are not just as important in the kingdom of God. Because sometimes seed takes time to grow. And we don't put a seed in the ground and go, well, you stinking seed here, doing nothing at all, and dig it up and throw it away. That's not the seed's fault. That's the sower's problem. 
we got to tend to the seed. There's tending that takes place. Some plant, some water, but God is the one that brings the increase. That's what I said last week is it is not our job to judge what other people are doing. We judge the fruit. The Bible does say to judge fruit. So when somebody says, don't judge me, you don't have no right to judge me. No, I'm not judging you. I'm just looking at the fruit and I don't want none of that. Or give me some of that. But here's the thing is it's not our place to determine when someone is good enough or when someone has got their life straightened out enough. Because if we just all were real honest about it, every single one of us is a hot mess at some time or another. And we're all on a journey. And if you think you were in a hot mess, where you're sitting right now, you are a hot mess. Probably more than anybody else because you don't even know you're a hot mess. Bless your heart. You know? It is our job because of the death that Jesus died so that he could be many places, unlimitless places at one time through every person who would believe upon him as Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit on the inside of them. And as carriers of the Holy Spirit, it is our mandate. It is not optional. It's not if you feel like it, if you feel called, if you feel like you've got enough education, if you feel like you have time, if it fits into your neat little tidy schedule, if it fits into what you have planned, that is not what the scripture says. It says, go into all of the world and preach the gospel. Every one of us who have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us are called to preach the gospel to the world. Do you know what that means? It means that you're going to have to get outside of these walls and demonstrate the goodness of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit that wants to overflow on the inside of you. Because Jesus died, I have access to the very spirit that raised him from the dead living on the inside of me. And it is my mandate. It is your mandate to share the fruit of that spirit that has more seed on the inside of it that could be planted again and again and again to an unlimited multiplied harvest that when we are about the father's business, there's no end to what the spirit of God can do. And it's not that we have to sit around going today. I'm going to be fruitful in the spirit. It's the same with the tree. You just be what you be, be what the spirit of God has put on the inside of you. Choose that. Jesus was the first fruit of many to come. It says in first Corinthians 15, 20 through 23 in Romans chapter eight and verse 29, it says that Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren, meaning Jesus gave his life so that what was established in Genesis chapter one, that every seed would reproduce after its own kind. You were created to be in his likeness and his image. You were created to carry the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. You were made for it. It takes way more energy for you to be a miserable human being than it does to be filled with the joy of the Lord. Way more energy. And it makes you look way more unattractive. 
(laughs) Ephesians chapter two in verse 10 in the passion translation. I love this. We have become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny has given each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. I love this, that we have become his poetry. When I was in school, I used to love to write poetry. And the thing, I loved my creative writing class in college because my professor was, she she was like, out there. (laughs) She was so cool. There was no limitations. She would come in with something and she would set it up in the front of the class and she would tell us to write on it. And we were turned loose. She would give us, maybe some days she would give us some parameters. We were given a certain form to use or something like that. But here's the thing about poetry is every word is very intentional. Poetry has a certain rhythm to it. Most, some poetry has a certain rhythm to it and some poetry has a rhyme to it. So when God says that we are his poetry, a recreated people, what that means is that your life is designed to have a certain rhythm and a rhyme to it. That everything in your life is very intentional and that the author and the finisher of our faith, that we are his poetry, that author is very intentional and purposeful with every word. Because in poetry, every word has to communicate and emote the meaning of the author. There is no word in poetry that is optional. They're all necessary And they're all very intentional with their meaning and with the definition and with the emotion that it carries. And it's the same way that God created and wrote our life. Is that everything is with great intention and purpose. There's nothing that is accidental with God. And there is nothing that happens in your life that you come across that God looks at and looks at Jesus seated at his right hand and says, whoa. I didn't see that coming. I don't know what we're going to do now. And here's the thing is you haven't come this far to just come this far. God does not bring you on a journey to just drop you off in the middle of somewhere because, woo, I didn't see that. Well, if I would have known that was going to happen, I would have done this and this and this. That is not a conversation in the heavenly realm ever. God has a purpose for everything. If God being God knew to create a ram that would almost 2000 years later be the sacrifice in the place of Isaac so that God could send his only son 2000 years later to be the sacrifice on the cross for you and I, what has he not made provision for? It doesn't matter who's in office. It doesn't matter what the news says the economy is. It doesn't matter what the doctor says. It doesn't matter what your teacher says. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what somebody said about you. It doesn't matter. Any of it doesn't matter. What matters is what God says about you. Because when you look at something, you think there is no way. There's no way to get past this. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the way. 
So we don't have any, there's really good news. Good news. There is nothing in your life, in your past, in your present or your future that God doesn't have provision for. (coughs) The bad news is we don't have any excuses. (coughs) The good news and the bad news. God knows your schedule. God knows the 24-7. God knows the reasons and the excuses you use to dismiss yourself from the destiny that he has created you for. I can tell you that Countless, I I can't even begin to tell you how many times I have looked back and thought, now I understand, God. Now I understand. But in the middle of it, countless times I have thought, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. I don't see how this can possibly turn out well. Countless times. And countless times I have repented to God for doubting his ability to take all things and turn them to the good for those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. Countless times I have repented for not trusting him in the middle of what seemed impossible. And I have learned and I'm still learning that God has everything I need. He is my Jehovah Jireh, my provider. He is your Jehovah Jireh. He is your God, your provider. And the thing that's so good about God is he doesn't have any favorites. He doesn't love somebody above someone else. I love, uh, Lisa Bevere said, uh, years ago, um, does God love everyone? God, oh, he said, she said, God doesn't love everyone the same. Because you hear people say that. No, God doesn't love everyone the same. He loves everyone uniquely. And God loves you so much so that he would create a ram in the garden so that you could be here today with the beautiful opportunity of being filled with his spirit. Romans chapter 8 in the Passion Translation, verse 27, starting out, says this, God The searcher of the heart knows fully our longings, yet he also understands the desires of the spirit because the Holy Spirit passionately pleads before God for us, his holy ones in perfect harmony with God's plan and our destiny. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his designed purpose. 
Say this to yourself out loud. I have a designed purpose. For he knew all about us before we were born. And he destined us from the beginning to share the likeness of his son. This means the son is the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like him. Having determined our destiny ahead of time, he called us to himself and transferred his perfect righteousness to everyone he called. Are you called? Without fail. Every single one of you, without fail, every one of you is his called. Every one of you. Was that proper English? Are his called? Is his called? Show enough, yo called. And those who possess his perfect righteousness, he co-glorified with his son. That honestly is more than our human brains can contain. It requires the spirit on the inside of you to really take that in. And the spirit in you will communicate that to your mind as your mind can soak it. Trust his spirit. Trust his spirit to lead you. Here's what I feel like there's a number of us that need to hear this. If you put yourself in the position to follow God and to do on a daily basis what you believe the spirit of the Lord is asking you to do, go where he's asking you to go, talk to who he's asking you to talk to, Step out and do the things that he's asking you to step out and do. You will absolutely run across your perfect provision and God's perfect will for your life. You cannot miss it. If you follow him, he will lead you into it. So be filled with his spirit. To be led by his spirit. To access all he has provided. Because he is your Jehovah Jireh. That's what that name of God means. The Lord, my provider. So let's, um, I just feel like we need to just sit in it for a minute. So I want to ask you just to, when we say close your eyes, it's not because that makes you any more holy or puts you in, you know, better communication with God. If your eyelids are closed for some reason, it's just that sometimes for some people, such as myself, it helps me to not be distracted. So that's why I think that in church, that's why I say it. If I invite you to close your eyes, that's why I'm saying it is because I'm a person that's easily distracted. So I invite you to close your eyes, whatever it is for you to just be still for a moment. And I want to give you a gift this morning, a gift of a moment. <laughs> Because golly, our lives can be busy. So I just want to give you the gift of a moment. A moment to just sit with God. And to realize that the spirit of the one who raised Christ from the dead is on the inside of you. And that God had a plan from the beginning for you to walk this earth to carry the multiplied fruit of Jesus now in this time. Perhaps you were born for such a time as this.
And what won't he do for you? What won't God do for you? He went through all that he went through to release his son Jesus into this earth. And Jesus went through what he went through to release the Holy Spirit to you, to anyone and everyone that would ask. What won't he do for you? There's nothing too big. There's nothing too complicated. Having that Holy Spirit on the inside of you is everything. And the only way to have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you is through Jesus Christ. The only way to the Father is through Jesus. There's an unlimited number of paths to Jesus, but there's only one path from Jesus to the Father. And that is through him. And Jesus very simply gives us the invitation, come and follow me. And that is giving your life to him, giving your heart to him. And generally speaking, when we do that, we don't know where all it's going to lead and we don't know what all it's going to look like because his ways are higher than our ways and his imagination and his dream for us is way bigger than anything that we can comprehend. So there's some mystery involved. But mystery requires trust, which is faith. And without faith, you cannot walk with God. So if you've never said yes to Jesus when he says, come and follow me, give me your heart. Turn from what you've been chasing and from what you've been running after. Come and run with me. In the church world, that's what we call being saved. Very simply, Jesus said, it's being born from above. And if you've never made that commitment that you know that you know that that is settled in your heart, then do that right now. I give you this moment to do that right now. And if you know that you are settling that for the very first time, or if you are recommitting like that, you're like, okay, I'm going to do this right now. And then I'm not going to question anymore. I'm settling it right now this morning that I belong to God and I am marked for him. And your mark is the Holy Spirit because the minute you say, yes, Jesus, I will come follow you. The Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of you. And if you've never made that commitment or you need to settle that with God this morning, I want you as an act of your faith, a prophetic act of your faith to stretch your hand up in the air right now saying, I am reaching toward my father and I receive the fullness of what he has for me. I receive the Holy Spirit. Yes, 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 yes. Keep your hands stretched up and just receive everything that God has for you right now. Your hand isn't saying, count me, count me. Your hand is saying, God, I am extending my hand to you because the Bible promises us that when we move toward him, he moves toward us. So right now, God is moving toward you in a big way. Release your Holy Spirit, Father. Thank you, God.
Father, we say yes with our whole heart to you. And if you need to just confirm that to yourself, just, yeah, God, I tell you, yes. Yes to your Holy Spirit. Yes to what you want to do through me. Yes to the destiny that you've created me for. Here's what I can tell you is that you will never be as fulfilled as you are, as when you're doing exactly what you were created to do. And every one of you are called in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.